somebody mad on Twitter about this one. About Willow? Yeah. Uh-oh, boy. <laughs> I, that. I just posted oh. my Letterboxd review. <laughs> oh. They came for me. Oh. The Willowites? <laughs> yeah. The Willow lovers came In for me. In watching this movie, I was probably most shook by this being a property Disney would want to adapt 30 years later, 40 years later, for a Disney Plus series. It, yeah. I, I remember as a kid... But then I remember they made a whole bunch of tron stuff so i who am i to judge right i remember as a kid it being fine I like but even then it was just like oh that was fun but yeah felt yeah, slight at the time yeah it's like yeah this is cool you know stone acorns i want stone acorns mm-hmm. but whatever yeah well we probably talk about this analysis because there was a slew of 80s fantasy films but this there seems to be lot. always kind of at the bottom of that pile even yeah i think everything else that kind of came out at that time labyrinth dark crystal uh never ending story excalibur Excal- all kind of well i think supersede this lady lucas expectations may have been a thing part here. of it yeah, yeah. it's just sort of like the forget- forgotten lucas arts project because you know obviously star wars and indiana jones are money printing machines but willow just kind of like is this other project that and 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 also ran from lucasfilm mm-hmm. it did make money though right I'm assuming. I looked at it. I don't remember it like. It I, I, like I didn't kill money. It probably didn't blow the world away. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah. it made money. But, I mean, two years after Top Gun with Val Kilmer and kind of your only draw. Yeah. It, just, uh, it it's feels so weird. Because when does Return come out? 84? 83. Return of the Jedi? Yeah, 83. 83? Yeah. And then Temple Doom is 87? Temple Doom. 84. Ooh, I don't know what year. I'll Temple. have to look that up. I think it's after the Star Wars I do not know the dates of Temple of Doom. But, you know, you're right, though. It's like, who... I mean, it made $138 million off of a $35 million budget, so... Yeah, so it's... it's no, I don't know what... I mean... That's that, successful. That depends on re-releases and things like that, but... Sure. I mean, it seems to have... Yeah. Yeah, you know the movie... You know what the movie feels like? It feels like a homebrew D&D campaign. Okay. You know, it's like, hey, let's make it all at... Ho- it's all Hobbits. And let's just yeah. go. And it just, I mean, to me, it's just more Star Wars. It's just Star Wars. Oh, yeah, sure. It's very it's Star just, Warsy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, we can probably the, get into that in a minute. chosen one and all that. Yeah, I'm Before sure. Before I show my hands. Yeah, but I'm yeah. sure we'll get to that. Well, hello, yeah. everybody. Welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast. We gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss. The film says, of course, this week's film is Willow, uh, which is uh, Ron Howard. Yeah. A Ron Howard joint. Ron Oklahoma's Howard very joint. own. Um, and so uh, we're going to be talking about that movie. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. And I'm still Dalton. And I'm I'm here for Opie. You know, we're I, probably going to say some mean things about this movie today. Original poster? I, 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 am, I am here for Mad Mardigan. I, I am a Mad Mardigan stan. I was I was the very, one and only the one. <laughs> I was fascinated by his character as a child. I bet you were. Uh, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I, honestly. I was like, well, yeah, I was like, he's rad. Uh, were you fascinated by his character in the dress or in the, the golden armor at the end? I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um... <laughs> In case there's no t- wrong answer. That's <laughs> not. In case you're Val Kilmer's a very attractive woman. <laughs> that mustache. It's that mustache that really does it for me. Uh, <laughs> noticeable mustache. Um, I I thought he was. You know, I, I believed it. I thought he was going to get out of that bar. I thought he was going to make that disguise work. I really thought. <laughs> I thought that that ruse was going to play. He uh, he failed that role. He's a very tall babushka kind of woman. Looks like to me. He probably rolled a nine. It's, yeah. it's all it's all about the roles in that situation. You're absolutely right. Totally. Dustin, what are, you, what are you about to say? I'm about to say that this is not a review show. It is an analysis show. So we're so going to talk about the roles that are fails and the roles that are successes. Correct. But we will talk about whether or not we like right. the whole campaign as a whole or not. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so we will have some discussion of that at 
the front part of the show, which will be spoiler free. We're going to give you sort of a line out as to how we're going to go about the show so that you know when the spoilers are going to happen in case you have been sleeping under a rock and haven't seen Willow yet. So you're like me. Uh, yeah, I'm standing in judgment. Me. And, and, uh, and Arthur. Curses. Uh, anyhow, so this is what it looks like. Synopsis. Spoiler free like a synopsis is supposed to be. Moving on to thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which is spoiler light, which is what they're supposed to do. Then we move on to expanding the syllabus, which will have the lightest of spoilers, but more likely spoilers of other films or films of this film's ilk. And then finally, we'll have music to let you know that we've gotten down to business, that business being analysis. And that's when all spoiler bets are off. So, Avars me hearties, yo-ho, let's move on. <sighs> Arthur, do you have a synopsis for us? Oh, yeah, that thing. Uh, after finding a baby in the river, the young Willow must escort the child back to its home. But he's not the only one with an interest in that baby. Wouldn't it have been much more fun if Moses had fought the Pharaoh with uh, magic himself? It would have been like baby Moses, like toddler Moses versus Pharaoh and magic. Anything would have been more interesting than what's in this movie. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Well, Arthur, coming in loaded and hot. Um, thumbs up, thumbs down review. Do you like Willow? <laughs> uh, Willow is if someone made a homebrew campaign who had absolutely zero imagination or understanding. Pew, pew, pew. Those were the sounds of shots fired. Um. There are three cool things in this movie, uh-huh. and most of them happen in the same scene, I think, uh, which is the uh, mucus-covered brain xenomorph uh, mm-hmm. child. I think it's cool. Uh, which turns into a really fun Ray Harryhausen uh, dual-headed monster. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Um, I don't think this movie's good, and I don't think it's succeeding at what anything it's attempting to do. Uh, I, I think nothing happens in this movie of note for roughly an hour nothing it's it's a road movie uh with the most uninteresting characters you can put on screen uh and the brownies are mostly just annoying uh, <gasps> even mr pollock who might have the best bit with the the, the final scene of him we got here you final saved shot. No? Uh, no 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 i kind of like him they're, I'm going to throw Dustin a boat on this one. Well, I mean, I mean and it just kind of does feel like the Star Wars retread, right? I mean, yeah. C-3PO mm-hmm. and R2, and I don't know. He used all the good ideas in that one, and so he didn't have anything left in this one. Uh, it's fine, I guess. I mean, if I had seen it when I was two years old when it came out, maybe I would have liked it, but I just could not get on board with it. There's um, something to what you just said, but I'll say more about that in a minute. I, I just, I, I mean, uh, I think Warwick's great, and so... And then starting this movie, which I had really no familiarity with, with his career, and other, I mean, I know who he is, and I've seen him and stuff, but like starting so watching, I was like, man, he looks like a kid here, and, and he was, he's like eighteen or seventeen, uh, and I think Warwick's really good. The baby, uh, super adorable, mm-hmm. some baby. good responsive stuff from that baby, right. some good reaction I, shots, probably and, a couple of babies, yeah, but, I would assume great, some twins but or great something. Baby acting, yeah, uh, kids adorable. Um, I don't know that I love Kilmer here as Martigan. Okay, I. Sometimes I do, but there are some moments where he's just not working for me mm-hmm. quite as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is I about him. I love Dust of Broken Heart, stoned Val Kilmer. I'm a fan of that, but okay. He's okay. I don't. I don't know. Maybe more crazed in a cage, Val Kilmer, unless wherever his character goes throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorsha's cool. Uh, she's yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know her from other stuff. I didn't. Yeah, I'm I not familiar with that actor. And then Eric uh, is is a good a good time too. His uh, buddy in the uh, mm. arm armed guard there. Kind of Boromir. Yeah. So there's adjacent. some good stuff there. Um, but it just feels like nothing really does happen for a while. Uh, I, I think just from a plot structure standpoint, it, it's failing uh, in some ways. I think action picks up once they kind of get the chase scene from the pub. That right. little bit in the wagon is really cool. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Um, and then some of the defense stuff at the at the castle. But I, I just couldn't drag with this one. I, I don't know. I, I think, again, it's mostly from a narrative plotting point that it just doesn't work for me. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I, I just... I don't know. I, I, again, it kind of is an interesting pick, like bottom of the barrel scraping for Disney Plus series. Like we don't have anything else left. Willow, it is for the five people who care. <laughs> so I don't know. Or I, I mean, I guess more than five people have made one hundred thirty-five million dollars or whatever. But it's yeah, just not my movie. Uh, not hey. for me. And I'm not a big fantasy guy anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even that's not a strong element of this movie. Until the end. Okay. So sorry to disappoint you, Father. Doesn't doesn't hurt my feelings. I didn't make it. Thanks very much. (laughs) Sorry, Ron Howard, if you're listening. (laughs) I like your other movies. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for that, Arthur. So, Dalton, um, how did you pick a fight on Twitter with this uh, review of this film? We'll hear more about that. Well, we we came to agreement. You know, I I I said I'm sorry. You know, I want to (laughs) like I I want to like all movies. For the record, I, I am never going in. With a with an axe to grind. It's, I was excited to watch. I'd never yeah. seen it. It's not my speed. I just very oh, rare, I should have warned you. Oh, very, okay. very rarely am I going in combative <laughs> with the text. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and we Arthur kind of already tugged at the thread that me and uh, at Amber Gilmore on Twitter came to private account though. So you got to be exclusive for this this one. Uh, you got to see this one when you're a kid. And that was sort of what we we dis, we discussed and was like, you know, I, I they they said the same thing about like, you know, I think this is true of a lot of stuff like Star Wars even. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You got it. This is exactly like the original trilogy Star Wars. There's no way I'm going to buy into Star Wars if I saw it for the first time in my 30s. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. If I managed to dodge all of that bullshit up until now. There's no way I'm getting on board. There's just there's not a chance. And I think Willow's the same way. It's just I'm, I'm with you, Arthur. I'm not the biggest fantasy lover in the first place um so that's kind of a, a a big barrier for entry for me to to begin with um but i i just couldn't click with this I, i'm with you though i think warwick's really good I, I like him as a as a lead i think he's really compelling i think you know this was a, a novelty at the time and remains so like the the casting call for for little people's extraordinary i mean mm-hmm. there's i don't think to this day that they've ever had a, a movie with that many that big of a casting call for for uh, little person actors so i mean you know representationally history-wise speaking like that's cool mm-hmm. like, I, this is notable and i, I I'm, I'm on way more on board with mad mardigan than you so dustin there's there's hope you know i i like it i throw it in a guy doing an american accent in a fantasy setting that's hilarious that's just comedy i'm sorry <laughs> you don't have to do any more work that's really good to just have him being kind of glib and without, you know, doing the the thing that we get mad at Marvel for doing of like undercutting the stakes with the glibness. Like, I don't know, he's he's able to be kind of tongue in cheek and not be the most bought into all the fantasy stuff character without ever like undercutting the excitement of what's going on. Because when this cooks, I think it's working for me. Uh, you mentioned the tavern for basically from the tavern to the time they get to the castle for the final mm-hmm. uh, battle. I'm on board. I, I like when they team back up with Mad Mart again, there's a big chariot chase. There's a sneaking into the mm-hmm. enemy camp chase. There's a big sledding thing. Like 
set piece after set piece after set piece in the second act. And I was on board. I was like, okay, this is cool. And then we kind of ended up right back where we started, where I was just like, oh my God, how much longer does this have left? Mm-hmm. What do we, what do we got going on left? What we gotta, we gotta have a final fight. Okay, sure. Yeah, I guess the final fight hasn't happened yet. Oh, the final fight's happening. Oh, this isn't very interesting. Oh, no. This is just two two ladies beating the shit out of each other over a wand. Uh-oh. This isn't really a magic fight so much as two I people. I call that a Thursday at Walmart. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It stops being, a, stops being a magic fight and starts being an altercation at the store. Uh, I know the part where she's, uh, what's the, Rizelle? Where The part where Rizelle's throwing her all over the room with magic? Mm-hmm. That's pretty boss. I like that. Uh, but yeah, then it just turns <laughs> beating the crap out of each other. It's just like, oh, this is where our exciting fantasy film is going to end is just two, two older women just hauling off in each I other. I feel like the special effect budget kind of went out. Uh-huh. Like, it would look more like Saruman versus Gandalf well, and, and that's Isengard, some, but That's it something I do like is like some of these, uh, these early ILM effects, like the, the morphing for Rizelle's transformation. I did, I did some homework on like the, the early computer effects that went into that. I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, I, I'm, I'm with Arthur. I think the puppet for the, that turns into a dragon, that's cool as hell. So there's definitely some cool effect stuff here. And again, like that early, that were sort of early computers, late analog, that mixing of Ray Harryhausen classic technique, you know, rear projection with with this early computer technology. Like, I find that very endearing, like that, that just aspect of tactile movie making, like really appeals to me. There's just not enough there there for it. I am with Arthur. It, it just feels like George was like, oh, OK, I guess I can I guess I could do a fantasy story like he, he wasn't on board enough to shepherd this into a screenplay like he just he's got the story credit. You know, he wants to boost Warwick's career, which is cool, you know, coming off of Return of the Jedi in 83. Mm-hmm. Uh, Temple of Doom was 84, by the way. I looked okay. that up. Yeah. So they're coming off of Temple of Doom. This is between Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. And it's it's just it doesn't feel like anybody's heart is in it. It feels like this was come up with as, as like, what does Lucasfilm do? Uh, I guess we could do a fantasy movie. That's something mm-hmm. we haven't done. Okay. And that, it definitely feels like those were the, the conversations yeah. that made this happen. Yeah. And it was certainly a hot genre at the time. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So. Lots and lots of eighties sword and yeah. Magic kind of stuff. Sword and sorcery stuff. It's a big heyday for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I what's, is there another decade that's got like that sort of really heavy fantasy output? The 2000 aughts. Yeah, after the the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. sort of Harry's Potter and imitators, yeah, yeah. yeah. So That's various true. various versions of fantasy, yeah. yeah. So franchise fantasy at that point, though, for sure, and a lot of adapted stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm I'm pretty much right on board with Arthur, and maybe a little bit more positive. You know, I'm not mad at it, but it's it's just not for me. You know, I think I'm I'm just too old to get the buy in on this one. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, so Dustin, you were there. On opening weekend, I assume. <laughs> I don't think I was, no. I think I was a home video watch for You were, me. what, 15? Uh, <sighs> no, I was not. Uh, so you didn't get to this in the, the, the theater, but no. you, you were one of the early acolytes on Absolutely. Home video. I mean, and there were toys, and, sure. it, you know, it's got that, that same kind of... It, 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 Return of the Jedi is a good sort of corollary to this. Mm-hmm. This idea of forest fighting, kind of treehousey, mm-hmm. kind of kids' adventure sort of stuff that, that this really taps into that particular node of a, a young child's mind that, mm. that we're going to go out in the woods and we're going to we're going to play army or we're going to play whatever mm. well, we're going to play we're going to play robin hood prince of thieves we're going to play ewoks we're going to play willow yeah it's it's that yeah. kind of thing right with that that very very treehousey uh 
Rube Goldberg machine bridges and swinging from ropes and you know shooting arrows, that kind of stuff. I mean, pretend arrows, but you, you get the idea uh, of childhood imagination. And I, I think the film actually functions best. And I think you're both of what two things that both of you said. I think is very very right. You know, first of all, I think the plot problems are there. I, I think absolutely it, it doesn't really know what it's doing narrative wise mm. to get us to the castle and fight Bav Morda. I, I think there's totally a problem there, and uh, there are some set pieces and bits of business along the way that are fine, but it's the sort of connective tissues that are strained, to say the very least. Um, The other thing that I think that you said is to watch it as a child, which is the key sort of idea, and that the movie really functions as a thing that you are attracted to uh, sort of in memory, more than you are in experience. And memory being elusive and flashy or uh, bits and pieces of it, it's almost like that surrealist approach to film where you're talking half the time, you're not paying attention, you're going out and you're going to the bar and, you know, chatting somebody up, you know, as you're waiting and then go back in and watch part of the movie. And it, you're just sort of left with some of the images. And I think the images of the movie are really what works. I think Willow's little wand really works. I think the, the stone throwing acorns really works. I think, uh, uh, what is it? Not Kyle, Kale. The uh, not the lettuce, but the uh, skull head. The face. evil general. The yeah. evil general. His little mask thing really mm-hmm. works. I think the sword design with his little uh, st- uh, sword breaker on one side and the long sword on the other side really, really works. I think uh, the first time Mad Mardigan actually picks up a sword and we get the reaction shot from Will. You are great because he actually pretty good handling a sword in that little mm-hmm. moment there and uh, immediately undercutting it too, where he tries to do the sword catching trick and again. He that's yeah, good. That totally works, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, this, this sort of snowboarding or sledding shield bit, you know, totally. all, all those sort of lits of, and, and all of that works together in little bits of memory, right? Sure. And so you see a little bit of lightning flashing. You see, again, sort of really, really believable kind of uh, little people as your hobbit like characters, which are called Nelwins, I think, or Pex, which I guess apparently are just a dry that, gallon. That seems like it's probably a slur, uh, it's right? It's supposed to be a slur. I think it's yeah. supposed to be a slur. It's like, well, half pint, but in this case, we're going to call you a dry gallon as opposed to a bushel, I guess, mm. which, I mean, it's kind of funny, like in this world, that this is the thing that they kind of do. And so, I, but all of those little bits and pieces are really memorable, really effective, uh, really affective. And I, I think that is where a lot of that 80s nostalgia comes from Xers who grew up with this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that we might have seen it more than once, but we wouldn't watch. This is not a movie that I don't think anybody really watched on repeat, although I'm sure there's somebody always who watches lots of things on repeat. I think there are legions for this film. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Arthur's right. It's weird that Disney Plus got to it, but, you know, they're, uh, if nothing else, they're a smart company. Mm-hmm. So, you know... There's they, a fan base exactly. out there somewhere. They, they had the metrics yeah. to say that there was money in this. And I'm not sure that I was there... I mean, I haven't watched their new series, so apparently I'm probably not their, their fan base for it. Yeah. And I wasn't interested in seeing it when it came out. I'm like, well, fine, Willow. Uh, no more Mad Mardigan probably nixes you immediately. Well, I do like Mad Mardigan a lot. That's and, what I'm saying. No, and, there's no moss. He's, he's just... He's a lot of fun. But I, I, I love... I love the brownies as barbarians. I, <laughs> I love the sorcerer class, you know, within... Like, the, the, the d D of it is really kind of fun. Sure. Uh, but but what I'm trying to say with all of that is I think if you think of it only as a dream partly remembered, it's really great. And if you sit down and watch it, yeah, it's not so sure. Yeah, you're you're your mama Fableman leaning down to tell Sammy that dreams are uh, movies are dreams you never forget. Right. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. And, and and then that's kind of what this movie is sure. for me. It is it is a dream 
that is part remembered, and of course you remember the most the most memorable or the most affective bits. And those affective bits uh, still continue. Like, oh, yeah, I love that. I, you know, you forget things that you watch. And I did love the Ray Harryhausen troll turns into a dragon mm-hmm. thing. I'm like, that's really, really fun. It is. And Val Kilmer in a cage. I really was like, oh, yeah, that's a cool image and all these little dead bodies beside it. And all of that works. And the, the initial parts of the battle, uh, you know, over the altar between Bav Morden and uh, Rizel, like that's that's fine. Yeah. You know, the various sort of uh, fumbled transformations of uh, Rizel into various other animals. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. also it's a good bit. Yeah. I, all those little bits are all fun little pieces. The the hole is not so shiny. Mm-hmm. And that's that's again where the problem lies. But if you're seven eight, nine, ten years old, you're not watching with that kind of attenuation of focus anyway. And so it really, really does work really well there. And that was my experience of it. And coming back in, I was like, oh yeah, I remember what I liked. And oh yeah, this is nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. But I'm just like waiting for the next bit. I'm just waiting for a sword fight. I'm waiting for the set piece. And then, then it's okay because I know it's coming. But if you're 35 years old trying to watch this for the first time, yeah, I just see I that. think it, it's valuable of you to remind us that this is a film for children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a kids movie, I think it works. So I like it a lot for that reason, and I like better my memory. I also, I really kind of wish I hadn't watched it for the show, and just sorry came in with my memory, yeah, you know, because my memory is better than what it is. Sure, but that's fine, you know. So there you go, dear listener. Our biases are a little cool, but we don't hate it. It's not the worst thing that's ever happened to us, or the worst crime against cinema, or anything like that. We're going to move on to the next part of our show, which is called Expanding the Syllabus, and Arthur's going to explain what that's all about. Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the host, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent text. That could be books and articles or anything tangentially related, such as films and stories. That's right. And so we're going to do that thing. Arthur, are you prepared? Yeah. I, I think the thing uh, I'm going to talk about uh, are unexpected packages. Uh, finding uh, little gifts uh, that have to be... Uh, Looking in the river and raised, finding a baby. Yeah, raised, sent off, escorted, or other, you know... Sorry, I'm just modes. Just thinking about Daniel Plain's view saying, a bastard in a basket. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I think we'd have to kick off with the story of Moses. Uh, we'd take a look at that. Yeah. It kind of sets up that archetype uh, of, of narrative, I think. And so we'd look at that, and then we'd follow that up with, obviously, DreamWorks, Prince of Egypt, uh, which kind of established DreamWorks as an animation studio in the 90s, uh, competing with Pixar and trying to compete with Pixar anyway. Uh, then we would take a look at Superman, uh, Super's Man. Uh, we'd look at some comics, probably look at some um, movie stuff and have fun with that. Uh, from there, uh, we take a look at Chaplin and the Kid, uh, oh. where he has to raise himself a uh, a little kid uh, who's been left. And yeah, he's so, not so good at it. Yeah, he's you know he's a tramp. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, uh, we'd actually kind of play with the idea. We take a look at Batman Returns uh, and what happens when the package doesn't get found when the penguin shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. What happens when the sewers and the uh, and the penguins raise your child? Love it. Um, it's a good twist. It I would like be that. a fun. Uh, we take a look at, uh, you know, when found rodents find uh, reptiles. Uh, we'd have to take a look at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Of course. Uh, and uh, that family dynamic that plays in and how that all comes together. Uh, we'd look at a movie we just, uh, uh, Dustin and I just watched recently. And that's Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> I um, love that movie. <laughs> which is a very good time. Uh, yes. Uh, where an unexpected package shows up on the doorstop and uh, the manliest man in New York has to uh, watch over it with his uh, goofball uh, roommates. Tom Selleck. 
I'm familiar with yeah, and his mustache. And his mustache. His yeah. mustache has a dude child care. It's <laughs> yeah. great. I'm I'm familiar. I'm also familiar with the I guess the related Big Daddy, where oh, the most yeah. irresponsible man in New York is Adam to, Sandler. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The turnpike worker. <laughs> so yeah. good. Yeah. Uh certainly Big Daddy could fit into here as well. Uh, and finally we would end with Coriata's uh, newest film, Broker. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of based around this premise of uh left children uh being black market adopted uh by a couple of uh church workers i think is what they are church adjacent workers they work at a church but kind of questionable about their uh, roles there um but the way that all kind of comes together in a found family dynamic uh, Uh as everybody is seeking i think some sort of closure and and purpose within the family and and within their society and culture that they've created and so i think that'd be a fun place and a very recent place uh to end this little section just talking about the trope of the baby in a basket very good very good i like the baby in a basket thing you're doing there dalton have you prepared a syllabus yourself i have and it's not too entirely dissimilar from arthur's i think we we would also talk about a little moses and a little superman because this would probably be a a save the child module and like Mm -hmm. a larger class on adventure tropes and adventure narratives oh yeah I, i think uh there's a lot to work with here. Uh, you know, we, we take a look at the the career of Pedro Pascal, he of baby savers, uh, <laughs> be, it, be it as the Mandalorian or as Joel in The Last of Us. Pedro Pascal can't stop being charged with transporting a child across dangerous He's lands. He's so darn good at it. He's so good at it. Yeah, I hear he might be attached to the Dark Tower now, too. Great. You know, put him in everything. Put him in this. Put make him do a lone wolf and cl- cub with Pedro Pascal. Why not? Mm-hmm. Because, well, that's the Dark Tower. Exactly. I didn't know that the Dark Tower was doing a lot of lone wolf and cub yeah. riffs, but yeah, I mean, that's of course we talk about that, which is uh, again, Mando is definitely doing a riff on that. A lot of things are doing a riff on lone wolf and cub. To be fair, I, I Road to Perdition, another example, and, and most of these stories, the, the child is like magical for some reason, or the the parent child bond is magical. There's some sort of supernatural force, sort of taking these real world uh, paternalistic or maternalistic dynamics and strengthening them. I'd want to look at the uh, Silent Hill movie. Mm. Um, the games don't do a ton of this, but I, the, the movie is very much doing a get your, get your child out of hell sort of narrative, which mm-hmm. I think is a, a fun version of this children of men also mm-hmm. in this, yeah, in this lane. Yeah. So Arthur, Arthur and I's classes, I think aren't too entirely dissimilar. Uh, although, you know, again, there's there's the the baby in the basket versus the the baby with the the hardened caregiver is is definitely uh, related tropes, mm-hmm. uh, especially you know because I I was thinking about this and I was like well you got to talk about Moses and Superman don't you even though they're not really in this pocket they both kind of come from this tradition of magic child or chosen child stories mm-hmm. and are kind of worth examining, uh, but I think Willow especially is doing this very well this this idea of this. This unasked for charge, this burden that no one wanted that uh, you are uh, tasked with uh, taking care of because literally nobody else can or will do it. And uh, I don't know. I think that's a very valuable narrative. And I I think it's fun to sort of take these, I don't know, what you could easily tell as a conventional adoption narrative and take it into something a little bit more fantastical where the stakes are a little higher and, you know, find the human drama within the, the big stakes. Uh, but I, I think it's a it's a pretty well worn trope for good reason. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's plenty of 
stories use this as a jumping off point. So I think it would be valuable in a class looking at, you know, sort of what are the tropes that send heroes on adventures? What are the kinds of adventures that people get sent on? I, I think that this would be a good uh, good place to stop and sort of spend some time discussing. You know, and I guess the course you could put, probably put together would be like a children in film course, which is a, a, a way in which you can kind of shape some of these narrative oh, tropes as well. You know, yeah. I and mean, there's, a, there's a history, there's a history of the children in film uh, by um, Mark Cousins, that's out. That's a book. Mm-hmm. I haven't read it, mm-hmm. but it sounds like a, a similar kind of yeah. uh, bone sort of academic base you could build for that. Uh, both of those versions that's of cool. those modules for that, and then whatever, however, cousins does his breakout. Again, mm-hmm. I haven't read it, so I don't know much about that. I'm sure it's interesting but though, I, because the, the use of uh, children on film is like dicey. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, to begin with, and so we probably have to spend some time talking about that. Yeah, we we got to talk about Shirley Temple, right? yeah, all that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the the his, the long and torrid history of child performers. Yeah, poor, yeah. Judy, poor Judy Garland. Uh, yeah, the uh, little rascals. Mm-hmm. The whole troop. Danny Bonaducci, Amanda Bynes. The list goes on. Yeah, yeah, not a not a old problem. At all. Still still happens to this day. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Uh, so if I was going to break out this into some version of a course, I would probably... The course would end up having to be... It'd be a film history course. Mm-hmm. But what I would have to do is I wouldn't get into this sort of granular level and sort of like the, the big block world hit cinema history or even a Hollywood um, film history course because you just don't have time uh, to get into this level of granularity that I'm about to do. But I want to look at the 80s mid-budget genre picture. Uh, these, these kinds of movies that uh, function as uh, attempts to explore some different ideas, to give people opportunities, to have just an additional project coming out from your studio or what, what have you, and just to think about the ways in which... Uh, Genre got approached in strange ways in the 80s with these sort of mid-budget, like, oh, just let's throw a spoon out there in the water and just see what happens. And uh, so this film is an example of what we might see in the fantasy genre. Um, and there are lots and lots and lots and lots of other examples. I think Never Ending Story is a good example of one that really worked mm-hmm. and was uh, really, really successful uh, as well. Looking in the world of science fiction, I, uh, I have two options there. There's The Last Starfighter, uh, which is really well known for its special effects. And, uh, and 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 more than it is about its narrative, which is pretty basic in most ways, or uh, the much more interesting, I think, Enemy Mine with Dennis Quaid and uh, Louis Gossett mm-hmm. Jr. And uh, again, just another mid-budget kind of movie, but it's, it's sort of a high-concept science fiction with not a lot of money yeah. behind it. And then lastly, the, the exploration into martial arts film, martial arts fantasy, which is uh, me, John Carpenter's uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which I think is very much of a piece with this film as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so using those same kind of basic tropes of a genre, but giving it, you know, sort of the updated 80s treatment again, then uh, this is very much an updater mm-hmm. here. And so the exploration level for the course would be looking at special effects, looking at budgeting and marketing and success, looking at uh, just narratology, the sort of the, the way in which narrative is put together in these various films and what works and what doesn't work, what's really basic and what sort of finds ways to tell different kinds of stories when that happens. I can think any enemy mind is sort of like the, uh, the uh, hidden gem in uh, this lot here and uh, just sort of exploring what happens with this kind of movie mm-hmm. and uh, did I mention special effects already I've been yes, talking over yes. myself okay and so those kinds of things uh, star vehicles star power 
uh, careers beginning, careers ending, mm-hmm. how stunt casting may work in some of these places, and just sort of thinking about those kinds of roles and the roles of studios and this kind of really interesting mode of production that's kind of gone now uh, mm-hmm. would be the exploration. I'd have to do a lot more research and know yeah. more things about that. Sure. But. Willow occupies kind of a weird space in there, too, because mm-hmm. I, I did a just a kind of quick, like, contrast compare like what's the budget on uh return of the jedi and it's not that much different than willow willow's got a, a reported 35 budget uh and uh return of the jedi you can't find a dead dead on number but it looks like between 35 and like 45 really so willow's actually like again a few years later so with inflation probably a little bit cheaper but it's mm-hmm. it's kind of at the higher end of the mid-budget yeah, in this movie sounds that way which yeah. is i was surprised by i would have assumed they would have been a little bit more cautious on taking the risk the money risk on this one yeah, and I guess um, Return is a little bit more grounded um, than the two other sequels, or the two other in- initial Yeah, films. that's a good point. Yeah, there's probably a slightly less VF. I wonder what the VFX shots for on Return is versus the other two. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say was Industrial Light and Magic has developed the technology now, so it's cheaper to actually do the same effects mm-hmm. that you did in Empire or in yeah. uh, A New Hope, I would assume. Yeah. You know, no, I mean... But like you said, you'd have to do a lot of, you know... Uh, research on the the budgeting of these mm-hmm. things because I think you're right though that there's there is this kind of interesting niche that we're losing for sure yeah I mean, we talk about it all the time because your Conan the Barbarian sort of falls in this definitely, as well you know definitely. I mean there's a number of movies that we could we could sort of look at there yeah. but th- I think it'd be a lot of fun and just sort of thinking about again the the genre films these mid level life on VHS kinds mm-hmm. of movies as mm-hmm. well and so although VHS doesn't really hit hard until '88. Um, these movies will immediately find their way into those shelves, and they'll be the ones that people kind of go back to almost immediately when the when those uh, early '90s rentals start really taking off. And so, what that Second Life thing looks like as well. So, a fan culture is another thing that totally. we're thinking about. So, uh, there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got longer. What are you going to say, Arthur? I was just say Willow was the 13th highest ranked, uh, highest grossing film of uh, 1988. Wow, or domestic a, anyway. Huge hit. Yeah. So it's, it's right there in the midst of it. Yeah. All right. So there you go, dear listener. I believe your syllabus just got longer. I believe now is time we got down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh. It's business. And that it's business is, business as always, time. analysis. Joseph Campbell, am I right? Yeah, okay. I guess. A hero has a journey. A hero must journey. They have to deny the journey. There must be a call for the journey. Uh-huh. And they must, gotta say no. There must be like a wizened one who guides you. Okay. That's all I got. I mean, who is it? Is it Ryzen Rizzle? Rizzle? He's got a couple. He's got what's the yeah. village elder guy? The the sorcerer. Who sends him on the quest. Yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. guy. That's sort of both his. That's that's the person he denies. Kind of serves both roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Rizel kind of functions a little bit later yeah. and tags in for that yeah. role mad bardigans the rogue yeah the, the han solo type with the heart of gold exactly of yeah. Course. Yeah, right you got the heel face turn in a sorcia the evil queen's yep. daughter yeah it is, it is all sort of classic stuff you got a never palpatine yep mm-hmm. yeah a shadow and kale yep 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 the heavy yeah yeah i know i mean they're... eric is there as chewbacca yeah <laughs> yeah if you want, if you want Joseph Campbell's weird takes, I guess you can go read Hero with a Thousand Faces. You got yeah, the you... fools with the brownies. Oh my god, big time! Yeah. They're so three PO in R two. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're, it's big time. Yeah, it's such like one to one 
swap in energy. Yes. Kind of, kind of lazy. And so, yeah, I mean, just I, I just again, that's why I wanted to say that at the yeah. top. Like, we'll just get it out of the way. Hero's journey is kind of like the thing, and especially that, with fantasy, right? right? I mean, I think that's primarily where. I mean, not necessarily the only place it resides, but most fantasy films tend to follow that path. Well, and I do feel like Lucas. You know, again, he's only got story credit here for this, but Lucas really played up the Campbell ishness of the Star Wars yeah. thing, and I, I think he just thought, well, I just got to do that thing again. Yeah, and that, that that's what it feels like. It's like, oh, right, let's just do another Campbelly kind of thing. It really does like, feel like on a, purpose a palette swap in a big way. You know, yeah. instead of thinking I want to tell the story, this is how I would do it. What's an interesting character would help me along? Mm-hmm. And of course, you can find those um, tropes and conventions from Campbell and find useful ways. It's like, oh well, what they need right now is we need a wizard. Yeah. So what's our wizard going to be? And off and we go. Sort of. Yeah, I think definitely pulls most a, a lot from both New Hope and uh, Empire Strikes Back. We got the kind of hill face turn of Mad Mardigan, which mm-hmm. kind of mirrors Lando, mm-hmm. you know, there in Empire. But it does kind of feel like he's playing the hits in some mm-hmm. ways yeah. to have some inspiration for this. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think even though he's got story credit, I guess he's got an EP credit, too, I think. Yeah. But he feels like the auteur on this more than, you know, Ron Howard or either sure. of the writers. You know, I, or Howard's coming in because he's good at his job. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why he comes in the next time he works with Lucasfilm when he does the solo movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's he's a good guy. To, he's a steady hand. You want him at the wheel if you don't know who else to, to do it. Yeah, it's like this will definitely work if he does it. Yeah. yeah, Opie's got your back. Yeah. Uh. So anyway, I just I want to sort of like, again, name drop that thing. I think you're right, too. You yeah. Know, and, and just like, kind of let it be because it's it's just. Again, a, a useful way to think. I, I, I think I don't. I, mean, I, I put myself in the Wachowskis' heads, right? Which mm-hmm. was not something I should do. But they're writing the story for the Matrix, mm-hmm. and what they might do is not. They don't set out to tell a Joseph Campbell story, right? But they're like, we're going to tell the story. It's going to be. You know, we're going we're to explore these themes. We're going to have this sort of VR versus real world kind of thing. This is how we're going to go about going uh, through the narrative of the story. And we might say, okay, we need some way to help Neo f- sort of figure out the rules of what's going on. Oh, I know what we need. We need a wizard. Okay, Morpheus. We'll write this character Morpheus. You know, and, and, and that is the okay way to do this, is that you're working on this, and you're like, how do we do this? And I try- guess we do have to have an oracle, don't we? Yeah, yeah. all right, well, here's what, how we subvert the oracle. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and so there's that thing, which is sort of aware of Campbell. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other thing where you go, oh, Campbell, guaranteed success. So step by step by step by step. Yeah. And that's what this movie seems to be attempting to do. And that's kind of where it fails, I think, in a lot of ways. It's like it, yeah. it, it feels it feels tired. It feels worn out in that sense, as far as its uh, character contrivance, plot tropey kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so much of that probably is because this dwells so so deeply in the shadow of Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. And I, so much airtime has been given to the ways in which star Wars is doing hero with a thousand faces. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's got a lot to do with it. Like we're just more audiences and, and other consumers of, of media are a lot more savvy, mm-hmm. you know, than 88. It's just become part of cultural discourse to talk about like, Oh yeah, George Lucas was inspired by George Joseph Campbell. Like that is just sort of an agreed upon and known <laughs> quantity. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can even go out a level further and say, oh, well, then you've got these writers like Dan Harmon who are doing riffs on this with their like story circle writing. Like it's this is this shit is still here. It's just like the longer we do it, we have to get a little bit more subversive with right. it. Otherwise, it's just not 
it's not worth anybody's Same time. Same thing again. And yeah. I think a lot of the press surrounding Star Wars was like how Campbellian it was, mm-hmm. how Arthurian it was. And yeah. how, I mean, of course, Campbell's reading Arthur pretty hard. So it's like mm-hmm. Arthur's, the reading of Arthur via Campbell is the thing. And, and I think he's like, oh, well, this is my key to success. Yeah. And so I just put together the same recipe I've always put together. And it'll sort of change setting and to just dress it differently. And that, that's, I think, part of it's sort of, again, lifelessness is uh, attributed to that. Uh, one other thing I noticed in this movie that it's got a lot of powerful women. It does, the, yeah. The, I mean, you know, that, that this is something interesting in the 80s where there's not really a sort of major motion picture kind of push in this kind of way. That, that We definitely see feminist filmmakers and feminist filmmaking being a thing and that there are places at the edges in either uh, prestige, sort of Oscar bait cinema, or places in independent and avant-garde experimental cinema where there's, there's uh, um, some people are seeking to find a place at the table there that not the case at all for blockbuster cinema and the dis- which is you know that can be bad too right sure the, the girls get it done in a moment from endgame is not like we're not saying that that's the good alternative to not doing it correct yeah correct but, yeah you're i get what you're saying though there's not a niche for this being filled and there is this sort of out. public discourse is sort of pushing for that asking mm-hmm. for this kind of representation either mm-hmm. and the movie just does it and I, I don't really, I don't know who did that. This is like one of those things where I have more questions for research. Mm-hmm. It's like, who decided that we're going to make sure that um, Bav Morda is a woman and that it's going to be Bav Morda's daughter, mm-hmm. right? That is going to be, you know, there's going to be a love interest, of course, for Val Kilmer as well. And so we're sort of playing within this sort of major four quadrant way mm-hmm. of dealing with this kind of film. But we're going to make her really strong and really powerful. And then when we get away from the first kind of somewhat silly, somewhat... um less than competent sorcerer instructor, right? Oh, don't follow the pigeon. Go to the river, right? The, yeah. We, we want to get Love the real omni competent wizard. We're going to make sure it's a woman, too. And I think those choices are really kind of great. Well, even Willow's wife, um, mm-hmm. yeah. who doesn't Kaya. have a... Kaya, thank you. Doesn't have a lot to do, but it's not like fulfilling the typical role of like being a nag and saying, don't go on the journey. Like, there's... She, she understands. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's She's given like airtime to to be interesting it's a baby we got to take care of the baby of course we do that's what we do right yeah yeah it's you know limited limited roles for women right they're either wise your wife slash love interest or evil Mm -hmm. but still like it is populated at all corners of the narrative with powerful women which i think is yeah valuable in an 80s film yeah and and so i just i I like that about it yeah no for sure they're underserved but it's fine i mean most of the characters in this movie are underserved yeah, and again, yeah. it's it just surprising choices. Sure. Really more than anything there. Uh, do we make anything of the... Speaking of uh, Bab Morda's uh, daughter, Sorsha, as a, as a love interest, kind of interesting how that plays out in this film. The sort of the, the love spell shenanigans mm-hmm. that take place. I don't know if there's any like... I don't know. I don't know. If we we have anything like sort of interesting political reads we can glean from this or any. I, I, I you know anything that I think we do here is going to be just playing. I you know. I yeah. Don't, I, yeah. Exactly. See the smile on your face. <laughs> I see what you're asking. Like, oh, there, there's fun to be had there, but I'm, we're just you know we're making sort of an yeah extrapolation right to do so. Yeah. But it is it is fun to think about. I mean, the narrative is. He roofies himself by accident, mm-hmm. right? Which uh, is funny. Which yeah. is funny. And that his amorous sort of uh, moves towards Sorsha work. Yeah, she's compelled by his his uh, fugue state. His, yeah. his, his love potion his fugue state. His loving devotion. 
and then her and you know sort of uh, requiting of the attraction later on brings not stoned uh Val yeah. Kilmer yeah, along. Now, now in his right head you know, he's now into it and, and so like they they both you know pursue each other and sort of uh, win each other over and yeah. it's sort of egalitarian in that sense like he wins her over by accident um and then she wins him over on purpose and it's, it's I don't know it's it's, it's kind of it's kind of sweet yeah, there, yeah it's it's interesting exactly I mean I I could tell you you knew immediately why I wanted to talk about it yeah because right. I don't know that there's a there there but it is the, the, the mechanics of it are not uninteresting mm-hmm. at least they're not related I think we can all be thankful for that yes thank God well, yes we are glad of that um, thank you George for not doing that one again um, I do love the Monty Python of uh, the brownies yeah they are the night I mean you know they are the French knights at the castle wall. All day long. So goofy. Yeah, they're doing bits. I they do entertain me as as lazy as I find them as far as like being the the fools. Uh they work for me. I think they're goofy. Uh, and you know, and I'm I'm always amused by the look at the analog tiny human special effect. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, they're not using cool. you're doesn't look like they're using forced perspective shots. You know, no. they're they're doing like yeah, green rear, screen, green screen yeah. reprojection type shit. Yeah. But like love it. I'm on board with it. I think it looks great. It's, it's there's something very charming about that analog special effect to me. So I, you know, even if those characters serve literally no function other than to be funny, you know, I'm having a good time with them. I think their bits are good. We are here. You are saved. Yeah. Every time. It just makes yeah, me laugh. Very funny to me. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, one of the elements that does not work for Arthur that does work for me. Uh, do you have anything f- for the brownies? They just sort of exist to like be a minor stopgap in the journey. Yeah, I mean they're comic relief. It's, yeah. it, it's to get the laughs in. There's not. I mean they they provide no help whatsoever. No, you know, other than they all work for the uh, chief fairy lady. We we forgot another strong female character. Yeah, the magic super awesome fairy the lady, Gladrail type character, yeah, whose name is Chalmindra Chlamydia. Something left a real lasting impact on you there, yeah. didn't she? Well, fantasy nonsense. Name. Fantasy fantasy name, yeah. We'll kinda of just call it chlamydia from now on. Uh but no. That seems no. respectable. No. <laughs> that seems like the honor. honor yeah, I can tell it's not hitting as hard as you wanted it to do. <laughs> Shucks. Well, all right then. Fine. I'll joke failed. Moving on though. Uh do we have any other uh we've talked about the hero's pieces? journey. I we didn't we've already kind of talked about like this being an interesting stock over in the the Lucasfilm like oeuvre you know I don't know that we they have, we have anything else to say about that but it is yeah. kind of interesting in their catalog um speaking of catalogs though and canons does this feel like an essential part of that 80s fantasy canon you were talking about you know we yeah. we've, we've listed a lot of films uh Lady Hawk Excalibur um those were the two that jumped Never ending story. Never ending story. But Conan we, the Barbarian. Dozens. Big yeah. decade for fantasy. Does right. this feel essential when like talking about that moment? Mm, I don't know. Um, probably not. I mean, it's it's more than, say, Tom Hanks in Monsters and Mazes. Uh, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Sort of almost Dungeons and Dragons. The not Dungeons and yeah, Dragons. Yeah, the, the Satanic Panic not Dungeons and Dragons movie. Right, right. And so it, it feels like it's better than that. Uh, Labyrinth is a huge thing. Uh, sure. Dark Crystal is a huge thing. Those those Henson projects are are massive. Uh, Arthur's got a le- legend. I don't care for. Do you guys see Legend? Yeah, yeah I've seen it uh, with uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. never got to. It. I don't care for. And Ridley or Tony Ridley. To, uh, Ridley Ridley. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I think Willow kind of comes in above that, but I think it's definitely below Labyrinth and Princess Bride and Dark Crystal. Yeah, move that love. Yeah, Clash of the Titans. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the list here. Oh, Kroll is another. I think Kroll is a movie right on the right, right with on the Willow, fence with Willow. Oh, with Willow. Like it's better in memory than it is in watching. Yeah. Uh, which has got this cool like uh, five the, the, the glaive. That's the nin- only reason I know about it. Ninja yeah. Star thing, and it's really really kind of cool. Yeah. S- same with Beastmaster, which mm. is another one of those movies that it's it's much better in memory probably than watching. And I don't want to watch either one of them again because I like them right now. Yeah. And I wouldn't. I'm sure if I watched them. No need to pick at that scab. No, no, not at all. Uh, but anyhow, yeah, I, I would say Willow's more essential than those because I think the production value is probably higher than that. Lady Hawk's pretty good, um, but. Yeah, it's hard to figure and hard to pick, I suppose, uh, for an '80s um, Hall of Fame. But I think the Henson stuff's the high high mark, you know, for the '80s. Would you? Yeah, agree that Never Ending Story. I think so. Which you know, it's well, kind of and Princess own. Bride. Princess Definitely. Bride. Yeah, yeah, that feels like a high water mark. Yeah, which is uh, less a fantasy story yeah. than a fairy tale. Just, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. But I mean, it's what, just set what, in. What's the difference? Yeah. Magic. Magic. Is that the thing that separates it? Fairy like, well, then you magic. have to get into high fantasy and low fantasy yeah, and, and yeah, and mid the, fantasy. Well, there's a miracle, right, with Billy Crystal and the sort of resurrection thing, you know. <laughs> That's um, true. And there are those uh, rats of unusual size. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't believe they really exist. <laughs> and then Buddy yeah. on the Peanut. <laughs> Much more quotable film, Will, uh, not Willow, uh, Princess, <laughs> Princess Bride. Bride. I mean, yeah. it is very snappy with the dialogue. Yeah. yeah. William Goldman knew what he was doing. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Well, all right. Are there any other thematic edges we want to hit with Willow? I don't know. Monarchies are bad. Don't do them. Yeah. Uh, I can you know, I kept wondering, like, I, I was keeping track. I was like, okay, what is Bad Morta doing that's so bad? Sure, the kidnappings are no good. What, mm. what, is, odd, what is in the text? And then eventually they do kind of reveal that this kingdom is very imperial. Yeah, well, that and the sort of uh, decorating your outside with just skulls and dead bodies. Well, I think that that's just being an effective monarch. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> let people know what's what. <laughs> That's you gotta set the tone up that front. That dark turn. I'm not, I'm not Otherwise, doing... other people are just coming on in doing what they want. Yeah, this, it's ten years in. This is where I take the turn and go. Now we're doing some evil girl boss defense stuff. Yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, what if a, what if what if the evil one was a girl boss? Doesn't that make it better? Yeah, yeah that's that's my new take. Okay. Um, uh, no, yeah, monarchies are bad. I don't know. Is uh... you noticed something in Letterbox? You didn't like the score. No, it's is this Williams. I didn't even notice. It's not Williams, but it does it sound seems, very sounds like Williams. Indiana yeah. Jones adjacent. It yeah. felt yeah. like very stock fantasy score to yeah. me, which mm-hmm. is why I didn't like. It's just kind of too treacly. When it's too treacly, it's yeah, it's never hitting for me. There's a bit and I can't I'm, remember where. It's kind of a more romantic motif, mm-hmm. but it sounded very. I, I thought a lot of John Williams at that yeah. point. Williams, especially on the Jones movies, is yeah. what I thought of. Yeah, yeah. I you know I'm not scores occur to me when they're like very notable or very unnotable and for me this is the latter you know i just i don't I don't always notice them but when i do it's either because they're really grabbing me or because they're kind of rubbing me the wrong way and yeah. this one just like I, I don't know if it was because it's it's too on the nose or you know just it's it's just not it's working against the film as often as it's working for the film for me like it's taking me out of the moment a lot yeah um and the craft kind of is is wonky in weird ways like i the set design is all like really good the sets all look good to me the production uh, and the art direction of the sets is good but the costumes all kind of look very slapdash yeah Yeah. i love i do like the brownies uh the little rat head Mm -hmm. cap is really fun i I like that costume yeah I kept thinking about uh, Amerindians in South America with the uh, Nelwyn's clothes, like the the way that there's like a little 
pattern in uh, the fabric that mm. really looks like what you see uh, South American Amerindians gotcha. uh, wearing. And I thought, well, that's uh, okay. That's a that's a that's a choice. But I didn't think much of it. Yeah, I just yeah. I remember the you know I don't know if they didn't have a good armor or what, but the armor all looks very like play school like. You know, it yeah. came out of a costume shop. Yeah, yeah it's just a little Except lacking. Except for Kale's helmet. You know, even that to me, like, it looks like a piece of paper mache. You know, uh, it's yeah. cool in theory. Like, I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Skull face. And then when he gets hit in the sword fight, it explodes. Like, looks very cool. But the whole time I was just like, the proportions in that skull are all yeah. wrong. It looks, it does not look like a real skull. I wonder if there's like association love that happens with something like that too, because I kept thinking Skeletor thoughts. Oh sure. yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I wonder if just a kid would go, Ooh, it's like Skeletor, but not, Yeah, you know, and without the, I'll get you, he man, kind yeah. of, you know, ridiculous voice. So mm-hmm. I don't know, but I thought about that. I, every time he was out of his mask, I'm like that guy, that's the guy under the mask. I'm like that. It'd be a lot cooler if it was Skeletor. Yeah. It would be a lot cooler if it was Skeletor. That's undeniable. I mean, more things should have Skeletor in them, probably. Yeah, right. He's a buff skeleton. What's not to like? Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about Peck earlier. I don't know. It's interesting that they write in the othering of the Nelwyn, like mm-hmm. that they are they are other in in the society of taller folk, right? And so sort of that discounting small people, it's the Lord, mm-hmm. of, the, it's the Lord of the Rings of it. So this yeah. movie is like parts Lord of the Rings and parts Monty Python and, you know, parts just sort of uh, Arthurian legend, Joseph Campbell kind of stuff. And uh, the Lord of the Rings bit of them is that, you know, you don't expect these uh, the smallest of all people to be able to accomplish big things. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, that they have this sort of weird, like, cruelty, like, run you out of the bar kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it becomes... It becomes sort of racially coded. Yeah, it was know? exactly. I was thinking subaltern thoughts mm-hmm. in a big way, like yeah. especially with the the bar scene. And again, like there's multiple moments where people are like, "Get out of here, Willow! Mm-hmm. Get, hit, hit, kick rocks, bud!" Yeah. Well, and even there's a throwaway line where Mad Mardigan says, "You are crawling with brownies," and treats them like an infestation rather mm-hmm. than yeah, you yeah, know, the, the, the another pests, sentient a, being. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mardigan's kind of a, a tool. But that's, you know, part of his charm. Yeah. You know, that's sort of his whole deal. This is his character arc. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... He's got to be fun. bad so he can be good. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it, He's got to be Han Solo. Fantasy Han Solo is maybe the most effective, single most effective thing in the movie. Right. But again, it is sort of gesturing to this larger issue we've talked about, which is the, the palette swapping Which is nature. just fantasy Rick Blaine from Casablanca. There you go. That's what, yeah. what it is, you know, just stick it in a fantasy world. Good point. Yeah. So, all right, let's render a verdict then with uh, Dear Old Willow. Shelf or trash? Let's crush some childhoods. Go ahead, Arthur. I will very gently uh, lay this on the trash heap. Nothing nothing evil. No Hebrew hammers here, unless we get to the end of the year and there's nothing else to choose from. There's nothing worse than this. Yeah. <laughs> so. Depends on you, man. It's your programming. <laughs> I guess so. All right, what do you say, Dalton? Yeah, I mean, th- this is on Disney Plus, and that's where it should be. This is a very gentle trashing for me as well. Uh, I don't have any ill will towards this film. It's just, you know, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say trash. I'm going to try to say trash solid, honestly. I mean, as much as I like the movie uh, in terms of my memory, if you don't have an eight or 10 year old to watch it with, don't watch it. If you watch it when you were a kid, just stick with that. Did you watch it with? I watched Rosie? it with a 18 year old. Uh, what'd he think? He fell asleep. Yeah, fair. Yeah, that's about right. There you so, go. There you go. Asked and answered. 
Yeah, so there you go. Um, Does not get the past the Zoomer smell test. No, no, poor Zoomers. Um, but anyway, there you go. Uh, those are our thoughts on Willow. If you have thoughts about Willow, Dalton will tell you how you can share them with us. That's right. If you two want to at me and tell me that I'm an <laughs> asshole for not liking Willow. <laughs> do it, do, do it. it. You can find us on Twitter at Good Trash Media. You can find me on Twitter at Dahl underscore Stew. <laughs> you want to get after me personally. Uh, yeah, no, it, this is a fine movie, but if, if you've got big thoughts on it, we'd love to hear them. Uh, it's at Good Trash Media on Twitter. It's Good Trash Genrecast at gmail.com if you've got long form feedback for us. Uh, last but certainly not least, if you want to help contribute to the show and keep us uh, keep us podcasting, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM and find out what sort of uh, kicky little bonus features there are for you. Last week, we discussed A Hidden Life, the Terrence Malick film, because of our, our friend and patron, Keithan Smith. So thank you, Keithan, once again for your patronage. And if you want to be... And we all had wild and varied reactions to that film. Didn't yeah. we know? Didn't we Didn't know? we all? Yes. We all already know what we think about A Hidden Life because of time travel. <laughs> uh, yes. when I, And you, listener, already know what we think about A Hidden Life as well. And yet we do not at current moment. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Fascinating. Mm. So yeah, if you want to pick a movie for us to, I don't know, have to figure out when we're going to record it because it's three <laughs> hours long. Uh, yeah, go to patreon.com forward slash GTM and uh, there's info there on how you can become a movie picker just like our friend Keith and Smith. Thanks, Keith. Arthur, mm. I already know because of production things what we're talking about next week. Yeah, but, but you want to let the listener know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, uh, what's what? Well, Announce it with the light, yes. Well, next week we're going to move back to the modern world and head to Detroit and attempt not to lose ourselves the as we discuss <laughs> 8 Mile. That's right. It's more of a modern world, not fantasy. Not oh, right. Got you. Got you. Ah, uh, yes, the fantasy realm of <laughs> Detroit, <laughs> circa '95. <laughs> what a time! The hero's journey that will take place. D twelve is is among us, if, and they're if, strong. If Eminem finds magic acorns, I am there for it. You it's know, a much more I, different movie. It, has, <laughs> it had been a long time since I had seen this movie before watching it for the show. I wouldn't have been surprised if Magic Acorns <laughs> featured in. It had been about 15 to 18 years since I had seen this movie. Oh, man. Uh, so Yeah, we're going to talk about Curtis, Hans, Curtis Hansen doing the Eminem movie. Yeah, there we go. Don't so, you want to hear that? I, of course you do. So you keep watching and we'll keep talking. and We'll see you all next time. Thank you.